0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.
1: And so in the, in the years that uh, he's been here, he has spearheaded Serve uh, LA and a number of other projects, and I've grown to respect and love this guy. So please welcome my friend Adrian Kohler.
0: Yeah. Hey, guys. How we doing? Yeah wonderful. Well, I am so glad to be here. And um, if, this is, uh, if this is your first time here, um, we're, we're glad to have you. And we've, we've been having a conversation called Unexplainable. And we've been walking through the Gospel of John, uh, the story, the life story, the biography um, of Jesus uh, written by a guy named John. And so um, we've been walking through all these different stories. And um, what's really the sole purpose of this is asking ourselves the question, why would John tell this story in this way? Um, Because John actually tells us himself, he says, you know, I wrote these stories so that you might believe. And um, that's one of the central themes of the scriptures is that um, for Jesus to walk and live among us and actually communicate to us and interact with people in such a compassionate and compelling way, uh, why wouldn't you believe in such a man? Um, That this man wasn't only a man, but that he was actually sent from God and God himself. And so as, as we look at the scriptures today, I really want us to kind of put that filter on, no matter where you are, no matter what your starting point is, is just kind of put this fresh filter and say, let me investigate this guy. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I, I would challenge you, um, just like I have this week, to look at this scripture in a fresh view and say, now what is, what is, trying to, what is John trying to communicate to me here about this, uh, this Jesus? And, um, you know, I, I think it's a theme throughout scripture. I guess there's, there's multiple themes, but I think the overarching story um, of all the scriptures, is that there's a God that created people and a God that loves people so much he doesn't want to be away from them. And as we've, as we've watched John tell these stories, we've seen it. Even in some goofy ways, right? His first, his first uh, miracle, what was it? We talked about it here. Water into wine. Isn't that such a strange way to come out of the gate, like to do a miracle? Um, You know, but it communicated unique things to us, Then Jesus cares about the details of our lives, and he's almost like showing himself to be such a down-to-earth. I mean, he could have probably uh, done so many crazy things at that wedding, but he just chose to do this little bitty thing, and he showed himself uh, to care about the details. And then we got to go next, and we got to see um, the son healed, right? The, this, this, this child was dead and um, he brought him back to life and later we get to see this paralytic who'd been laying on the mat for so many years and Jesus brings him and then last week you remember what, what uh, miracle we looked at? yeah, so uh, these people come to Jesus and he decides to feed them and, but overarching we just get to see Jesus interacting with humans in a way to communicate with them man, I want I, I care about you I care about your needs some of them so trivial some of them really profound like the guy that was laying on the mat for so many years And and um, it got me thinking this week because about two and a half years ago I fell in love with a girl, and her name is Jess, and um, we fell hard and quick. You know, there's um, I'd spent so. I mean, my dating life was uh, the definition of brutality. Uh, it was, it was, um, it was so brutal. I don't know, because I'm, I'm partially just this like hopeless romantic, and so you know, I meet somebody that's awesome, good looking, and more awesome, and really good looking. Then I'm like, oh, this girl could be my wife. But when I met Jess, like, I didn't have to convince myself at all. And um, we became quick friends. We became great friends. We decided, man, we want to, we want to spend our life together. And there's all these different things you have to do in the process, right? And so. Um, of course, the engagement's part of it. And I'm, this, I'm a story guy, right? I'm like, I'm always living for the story. And I thought, well, how, what am I going to do to show her how much I care about her? And so I bought her this ring, saved up all my money, which was not very much, and, and went to this antique ring store and bought her this ring. It was because uh, my wife's an artist, and, and uh, she's a photographer, professional photographer, and uh, she cares about what stuff looks like. And she's so unique, I wanted a ring to match her, and so... Uh, I end up buying this like old, like early '30s ring from the Art Deco period. Just and, and uh, I did some research. I didn't even know what Art Deco meant. This lady's selling me really hard, and I'm like Art Deco. That sounds so much cooler than me. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> so I go home. Literally Google Art Deco, click, and first thing that pops up is a picture of the Griffith Observatory. Who's been there? Anybody, yeah, it's beautiful. If you've not been, you need to go. It's built it's built the same year my wife's ring was crafted. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be cool. And so I take my buddy Hank up, and we go up, we're gonna go scout the place because I'm gonna do it right there. I'm gonna ask her to be my wife right there. And so we go and kind of do our recon work, and so we go up, and um, you know, I'm scouting the thing out. I'm scratching out, you know, schematics, and okay, here's this door, and this door leads to here, and okay, what's my team? And I flip the page, and who do I need to be involved in this project? You know, because I think every every guy wants to be involved in a heist, right? So this is like my version. <laughs> One comedian says, "Every everybody wants to be involved in a heist and own a monkey," um, which might be true. Um, but anyway, so I'm I, I'm like I'm planning this thing like, down to the minute. So anyway, so I got my schematics all planned out, and the best thing about it is I met an inside man, and his name was Clark. Inside man meaning uh, he, uh, he worked there, and I, you know, so I pitch him what we're doing. Hey, man, you know, two weeks from, from today, and I actually think it was a week, a week from today, I'm going to see this spot, Clark. I'm going to propose to my girlfriend right here, and he's getting all excited because he works at the observatory. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great place, beautiful, but literally he just does tours all the time. And, you know, not often does he get to be a part of like an epic moment in somebody's life. And so he's buying in, full go. And he's like my, I'm like, hey, you got to tell everybody, make sure the right people are working. He's like, okay, I'm on it. And so he's doing this whole thing. And so we ended, up, we ended up calling the thing the Clark W. Griswold Classic, just because we had to have some code words. You know, every good heist has some like lingo. And so it was the Clark W. Griswold Classic just because his name was Clark W. on his little name tag. And so... Anyway, a long story short, I got everybody in place. I had different like a team. I had four I had uh, two camera guys, two film like two videographers cuz and we had a strategic place and all this kind of stuff. We had I had her friend who just moved to town make up fake invitations that her work was going to have a work party on this terrace. <laughs> Extra mile, right? So, and I had to go do something in the valley. I never go to the valley. But I, could, so I just knew she couldn't check my story. If I was with my friend, she might call. But in the valley, she doesn't know anybody there either. So I, I had to go do this thing, but have a great time with your friend, Star. And so the whole thing, because I needed her to get all dressed up. So she's going to this work party. And so she goes. And, I've, and uh, what I didn't realize was that Star is actually on time. Like, she's punctual. My wife isn't very far from punctual, but her friend is punctual. So we, anyway, we get up there, and she actually uh, arrives on time which was bad for us. Because I had, I had a guy, Mario, that was working security. I had my friend, uh, Clayton, that was working security on the other end, because we can't have any tourists involved in this. This is straight local, you know? Like, we got to keep the... And the sun was going to come down at a certain time. The, the last show of the night was going to happen, and I had a 10-minute window, and we couldn't... We had, to, we had to hit this 10-minute window. Well, it's, uh, we're all getting everybody in position. I'm giving the team pep talk, guys. It's going to be great. Thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, I've got all my stuff, and I turn the corner on this back little terrace thing, because I'm going to do it right where you're, as you're overlooking L.A., this beautiful thing. As I turn the corner, I see her, and I'm afraid she sees me. I duck right away, and I think I hear her, I hear her say my name, which is extremely frightening, when you've you know, done so much work for this. And Mario, the guy she's talking to, who she's never met before, but he's this like, really good-looking Eastern European guy that I used to work out with. And uh, he's holding flowers and the ring. Okay, where's Clark. That's my first thing. So I, I, I duck down, grab my stuff, and I run around to the front, and I'm, I'm yelling at my friend Clayton, who needs the CB to the guy on the roof, that he needs to go down and tell Mario that he needs to meet me out front. And I'm like, this is like straight-up movie time. Like, <sighs> Meanwhile, I get out there, and I'm like in a fetal position in the bushes saying, this is not going to work. The whole thing is, is over. Like, it's just it's messed up. All this work for nothing. Well, as it worked out, Clark was the man. He went and got them, told this huge lie about, oh, I'm sorry, we've had a change in management and, uh, you know, we've had this, all these problems. Can you please, can you come downstairs? I think it's downstairs. And so he goes this way and I end up, when we come and set it up, set the thing up backwards and I, you know, of course, of course gone. I got her favorite flowers to like line the little promenade there just, just so she could, it's multi-sensing activity, you know? <laughs> What is this? This is something I love mm. and then all of a sudden she 'll come up on these big like eight by ten photos of chronology of our relationship because she 's a photographer. She takes tons of pictures, so I got good stuff so it 's like so she 's on this trail, something I love mm, memories I love, and so she 's walking, 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 and then and then she gets to me, which is like bummer but <laughs> Uh, she comes around the corner, and I am like, have been running around. I'm like sweating now. I'm just like, get this thing over with. Uh, but she comes, and we like rest there for a second. She finally figures out what's going on, and uh, you know, I'm fumbling my way through like the proposal, and uh, finally I ask, and she says she says yes. And of course the iPod's there. We turn on some of our favorite tunes, and we dance, and and it's uh, it's beautiful. But you know, so much work. <laughs> I mean, seriously, so much work. And, uh, but it was all for her. You know. In the end, I, just, I wanted to give her a story, to give her an experience that she would be convinced of my love for her. And this, this is part of the theme of what's going to be, actually, we're, this is part of the scripture we're going to be looking at today. Um, it's just seeing a Jesus that goes beyond um, the norm, goes beyond the call of duty in some ways, to show these guys that he wants to be close to them. So, um, let's look together uh, we're in John chapter 6, 16, and I think it's going to be up behind me. So when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. And a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed for three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. And they were terrified. But he said to them, "'It is I, don't be afraid.' They then, were, they then were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore uh, where they were heading. The next, day, uh, that crowd had stayed, uh, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near that place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Uh, let's take a second just to pray. If you pray with me. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your scriptures that um, aren't ever too far from us and they speak into us. And I pray, God, that um, this time, no matter where all of our hearts are in this room, that you would actually be present and you would speak to us. And we would know your presence. Um, So many times, God, we get distant from you and and wonder where you are. And I pray, Father, that today would be a beautiful um, time for us, God, but actually set a new path for us, a new trajectory of intimacy with you. And help us to find people in this room to walk with in that process. And so we thank you for this time. In your name, Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so interesting passage, right? Uh, you know, there's like, there's like three other major accounts of Jesus in, on water. And this is like my least favorite, to be honest with you. I mean, the other ones, you guys know the other ones, right? The other ones, Jesus is in the boat. Things are going crazy. He's sleeping, you know, and the uh, disciples wake him up. Jesus, do you not care? And he wakes up. Peace, be still. Goes back to bed. And he's, you know, the whole, that's a cool story. The other, you know, cool story is, you know, Jesus walking on water. Peter decides to jump out and start walking with him. That's a great story. This one is just kind of dull. No? Sorry, <laughs> You just maybe just heard it for the first time. I've been looking at this thing all week thinking, really? Um, but as've been actually, as I've been meditating on it, it's actually come... Uh, really full circle for me and actually spoken to me, and and I hope that we can actually have some of these moments and maybe some of these scriptures would hit you in a fresh way, because we see some different people in the story, right? So we know that every, every, every piece you read out of the scriptures isn't in isolation, right? This isn't just like some Aesop's fable, one time ago this happened, no, no, this is actually after what happened right before. So I'll just set some context here real quick. So, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Well, where are they at? See, right before this is what we talked about last week. So, um, Jesus is kind of on tour doing all this great stuff, and all of a sudden, people start following him. This crowd starts following him. We find out it's like 5,000 men, which means if they had their 2.5, it's like 12,500 people, maybe. Who knows? Tons of people are crowded around Jesus, and... And um, they, he, he comes up with a miraculous way to feed all these people. And so these people are like into it. They're like, man, we've heard your stories of what you've been doing. Now you started taking care of us. So this crowd is like into this guy thinking, man, this guy must be really blessed from God. He must be from God. He must have some kind of authority. And so the crowd is really curious. And um, if we kind of uh, I like to kind of like, um, who did Pulp Fiction? Tarantino. Let's Tarantino this scripture real quick. Let's flip at the end and come backwards. So um, we, we, we know this crowd is there. And it says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore, this crowd we're talking about, they just got fed 5,000. Um, they started to observe things, right? They said, "Oh, on a second. The boat's gone. Jesus didn't go with them. But now Jesus is gone. He must be where the boat was. And so this crowd of 5,000 that had just been fed... All of a sudden now, uh, they're on the search to go after Jesus. You know, I I don't know if this is, I mean, I came from like a religious uh, background. Like my family was, my family were a long lineage of faith and that kind of thing. And so I kind of grew up in this deal where, um, especially early, when I just started hearing like hints and stories about Jesus, it seemed to be pitched a lot like, um, if you do this, then you get this. It was almost like a like a like a package deal, like it's like a great infomercial. Like if you do this, then you get this, and if you do that, if you don't do this, then you don't get this. And it was like this transact, transactional thing. And I actually feel this might be where this crowd was, because they'd heard these stories, like they like their friends were talking about the sham wow, but now they're starting to see it, you know, <laughs> like they just. Do- <laughs> Right? I mean, we've got to put ourselves in the lives of these people. And so they'd heard about this stuff, but now they're starting to believe. And you know what? You know what they believed in? They didn't necessarily believe in the man. Obviously, uh, they, um, they actually were believing in what had happened, which is uniquely different. Right? Like you guys know, I mean, we love, we love Kobe, but not who he is. We love what he does. Right? Maybe you don't. You guys like Kobe? Any Lakers? No Lakers? Oh, gosh. Sorry. Just have a moment of silence. All right, let's come back. Um, so, but they were actually into really what he had done and not necessarily who he was. And how do we know this? Because we look into the next passage of Scripture, which um, isn't going to be on the screens. But just check this out. When they'd found him, and when these people had found him, he said, Rabbi, how did you get here, right? The, the boat had left. All of a sudden, you're here. How on earth did you get here? They're doing the math. They're like, this is not how, how on earth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You, you Check this out. I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, But because you ate the loaves and had your fill, he's like, listen, you're coming after me, but actually you're coming after what I can do for you. Interesting shift, right? And, you know, I I don't blame them for this because this is so natural, right? As humans, we're always, you know, we just have this part of us that's like, you know what, this works. This just, this works. And I'm I'm after what works. Like I'm after like things that are actually tangible and can work in my life. and, And I realize sometimes that's, um, this what happens here actually is 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 pitched, I guess, in the religious crowds um, all over the world. You know, you do this. I mean, I'd spent a lot of time in India where you do you do certain sacrifices and the gods will love you. You do certain sacrifices and the gods will love you. Same thing happening here. And um, so I, I don't blame them for that at all. They were just doing what what really came naturally for them. But if you kind of scan down in this. Um, In this passage, in verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires, right? How do I become acceptable to you? Interesting thing here. Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is letting them know um, that you came searching for bread, but I'm the answer. You came searching for bread, but I'm the answer. Like, everything I'd just done was actually to let you know that I'm, like, that I'm the answer you're looking for. You think you're hungry, but uh, I actually want to feed you for your whole life. Like, I can actually bring you the nourishment that bread will never, will, will, can never give you. What, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they want to know what they can do to make them, make them uh, acceptable to God. But he, he's saying, you know, the hardest work that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to believe. Because at some point, I'm not going to be here, right? I'm not going to be here to feed you. I'm not going to be able to give you this product. And actually, you're going to have to believe in me in spite if I don't produce for you. Is this, so this is what the crowd's going through, right? So they, so they go on the search for Jesus. And they take boats over there. And they're in, they're in search of the product. But, you know, uh, the closer you get, the more, the th- one thing I do know is that the, the closer you get to Jesus, you realize it's not about the product. Um, it's really about the relationship. And you guys know this. You know, and sometimes I'm I'm looking my prayer life. Uh, you know, if it were to be evaluated, a lot of times I'm looking for God to produce for me, and um, I'm I'm not as likely to see that this process He's got me in is actually to bring me closer to Him, not to fix all the problems I've I've, I've uh, lifted up to Him. So there's that. There's like the crowd we can look at, but then a really interesting uh, piece of the scripture is actually the relational dynamic between Him and the disciples. Right, so um, they're in a, in, a, in, a, in a fascinating place, and walk with me for a few minutes, like about like where their minds are, because you know when I read the scriptures, I really want to try to become uh, invested I look at the uh, look at the disciples, because you know what, when I start to think of them as real, live human beings, I start to say, you know what, that's just like me, and so let's see what's happened. So um, we're actually going to flip two stories back. So before this, Jesus had sent them on tour. Right? It's the first time uh, Jesus says, you know what, I want you to go out, I want you to, do, to heal people, cast out demons, do all this work, and uh, you can't bring anything with you. So it's like an ultimate form of like survivor, right? Send them out. You've got to do all this stuff, but you can't bring anything with you. All they could bring was a staff. They couldn't bring an extra cloak, couldn't bring any money, and pretty much I think they had, they, their trust for Jesus had to go way up because now they'd gone out in twos and they didn't have him by their side anymore. So it was like a brand new challenge for them spiritually, emotionally, but also a massive challenge physically because they had to walk into a town where they didn't know anybody necessarily, and the, the game plan was just walk in, do all these good works, and if someone lets you in, stay there, and if they don't, keep walking. Right? So they had this new... Um, a dependency on people that they haven't ever had before because they always had Jesus at their side, right? And so, um, you g- and we don't get to hear like how that went necessarily, but we assume it went well, right? They're like, they're, they're these guys that Jesus has like given his authority to, and so it probably went well. You guys think it went well? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys don't do that, but whenever the, the scriptures don't fill in the blanks, I assume something, <laughs> no? I, anyway, um. <laughs> is that wrong? Anyway, um, so I'm assuming it went well. They come back, and then the feeding of the 5,000 happens, right? So they're on like cloud nine. You've got to figure, hoorah, hoorah, this is going great. Jesus, you poured into us. We poured into other people. We are a team. We got this together. And then all of a sudden, these 5,000 people shows up, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, um, now what are you going to do to feed them? Uh-oh. See, they'd never seen Jesus do this bread thing before. So right, the first first thing was, oh, sorry, uh, we don't have enough money. Did the math on that? If, it, if the same uh, same scenario, if you had a fifty thousand dollars income, what they're saying it, it would be twenty seven thousand dollars. Jesus says, to "them, you need to cough up twenty seven thousand dollars." That's our like modern day equivalent. Oh my gosh, Philip says, "no way." Sorry, Andrew says, speaks up for him and says, "you know what? Hey, we got this kid over here. He's got five loaves and two fish, but that's not enough." And Jesus is like heartbroken by this whole thing. I got, I got to believe it, right? He just sent them out, like as all-stars just went out and had a great victory. He comes back, and they come back not even believing. They don't even consider that Jesus might do something in spite of scarcity, in the present scarcity. And so he comes, he says, tell, tell everybody to sit down. And he gets all this stuff, and he makes, of course, feeds the 5,000, there's stuff left over, right? So put yourself in the, this is, this is what's happened right before the disciples get in the boat. They'd gone from all-stars to like really disappointing their coach, they don't even step up to the plate. They don't even believe that Jesus was going to do this. They didn't even consider the fact that Jesus could do the whole expanding uh, five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. And so, you know, just imagine that. And you guys might actually be flipping through your head right now some of the stories where, man, something great really happened and I didn't even believe it could. Where you, where you had written it off uh, from God and you thought, you know, God doesn't care about this or there's no way God could do something like this. And maybe, you, maybe your story is, man, God showed up and I felt ashamed. I should have just trusted. But this is the heart place of, of, uh, of, of where the disciples are when they're getting into the boat. And maybe they're angry. At, I mean, uh, maybe they're angry at Philip and Andrew, too. They're like, dude, why didn't you think he could do it, man? Like the guy, like the, uh, there's like 12 of them, right? So 10 of them didn't get to speak. And so the guy in the back's like, dude, I knew that. <laughs> Kid, five loads. He should ask me. right? So maybe there's this whole fighting thing going on in the boat. I don't know, but I think it's fascinating. Once again, we don't know, but we can assume. And, uh, or we can even just play with that in our minds. And so, you know, Jesus sends them to go, to go in the boat and go away. And meanwhile, he's, you know, the book of Mark says, he's like, he says, you go, I'll take care of all these people. He ends up doing his thing. He walks up to the mountaintop. And um, so he kind of takes one for the team. And so he sends them, he sends them across the way. And so, uh, as you know, the stories uh, where the, the boat's going across and all of a sudden Jesus comes down from the mountaintop and starts doing his walk across the water. You know, the Book of Mark actually says he was actually uh, almost past them whenever they saw him, and, and this whole mindset this, in the Jewish culture that they were really scared of water. It's like an eastern. It was like an eastern thing in India. They're still extremely scared of water um, because they don't know what lives there. Uh, you know, like this is probably like a, maybe it's like an old school kind of mindset because, of course, we've studied the waters and know what lives there now. But there's still this massive fear, and so um, the Book of Mark says they thought it was a ghost. And that's why I love the verbiage here. When they've rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching on the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified, right? Because they didn't know who it was. If it were a different ghost than Jesus, should they have let him on? I don't know. If it were even Jesus' ghost, should they have let him on? I don't know. That's, you take that home. Think about it. Um, Not for too long, obviously. (laughs) But uh, so they, they uh, but they said to him, "It is I. Don't be afraid." And, they were, and then they were willing to take him onto the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore uh, where they were heading, which is awesome, right? So I mean, I kind of looked at some maps of the Sea of Galilee. I think this is like a five-mile stretch. They'd gone three and a half miles. Jesus walks by. They get on the boat, and the boat is there. That's cool. If there's any Trekkie fans in the crowd, like, we should think this is cool, right? I mean, you could assume, okay, maybe it took them so long that, you know, by the time he got on the boat, uh, they had already gotten there. But I don't think that's true. And I don't even know what this means necessarily, but it's fascinating, right? So they get on the boat and they're already arrived. Um, and so maybe there's some kind of cliche point in there. But um, you, go, you go half the way, God will take you the rest. <laughs> i don 't know but it 's just fun it 's just, it's just fun <laughs> you know, but the fascinating thing for me is really uh, how this plays into my life, and I hope maybe maybe some of your lives too if you 've ever felt like you 've disappointed God and then you feel so far away from him if you 've ever felt like uh, you 've done something that um, that i mean if, if Philip and Andrew, if they really had a great home run. When they were on tour, they come back and they failed miserably. If they were still wondering, Jesus, am I still on the A team, or or did I get just downgraded to, to JV? And they're on this boat and they feel separated from Jesus. And I don't know why Jesus sent them out, but I I I think it's because you know when you when you when you're ever in those times of where you feel distance from God, are you ever in some really deep reflection about that? Can you tell? Are you at a place yet? Um, in your spiritual journey where you can tell when you're close to God and you can tell when you're distant? You know, marriage has taught this to me like like nothing ever before. Just because I mean, mean, proximity does not, right, does not guarantee intimacy. So I can be in the same kitchen with this woman I love and feel hundreds of miles away. And so these these disciples, you know, they'd just seen Jesus. They're going to see Jesus on the other shore, but how far, I mean, do they feel farther than that three miles away from Him? You know, And I'm wondering, you know, when they hit the other shore, um, are they they wondering at all if he's going to meet them there? You know, this is just, and and you you might have found your, ever found your place there. I mean, I was was having, we went and saw Wolverine yesterday. you seen Wolverine? Yeah, it was a matinee. It's a good matinee film. Don't pay the big bucks. It's a good matinee film. It's like a, ooh, it's like a, (laughs) it's like a setup film, right? You're watching and you're like, they're writing this one, so I'll go see the next one. You are like that? Yeah, so it's okay. Anyway, that's not the point. But I'm, I'm with my friend, and uh, we go watch the film. We're having a great time. Um, uh, the, he's, he's newly married also, and so we're, we're back at his place talking about the film and uh, making chicken fingers, because we're really concerned about our physiques. And, and we just start talking. We actually start talking through this passage, and we, you know, kind of, you know, just fun, thinking about it, all that kind of stuff. And then he says, you know what? He sits down, and he says, you know what? I felt like i have been on the boat for a long time. And I'm just, you know, I'm not prepared, you know, for that. I'm, I'm like, yeah, we're having fun talking about stuff, hey. <laughs> and, but, he, but he looks me in the eyes and says, you know, I feel like I've been on the boat for a long time. And he, his, his, his eyes start to well up. And he says, I've been faking it for months. And he says, you know, the worst part about it is that I think I've brought my wife with me. Because there was something that happened like six months ago for him. And a big rift between him and another person. And, and it really just pushed him out. It pushed him away. And he could have decided to stay on the shore and like, have the right conflict, but instead he decided to get on the boat and go. And uh, it, was a, it was a very honest moment for him where he decided to actually let somebody else into that story. Um, because he was not only responsible for himself, but he felt deeply responsible for uh, his wife. But not only that, he says, I, I haven't really been living and I know the difference. And so he, he's really not serving anywhere. He's really not pouring his life out. Nobody's feeling the effects of Jesus in his life. And for him, that's just, it was just, yesterday was like a big moment for him because he said, you know what, I can't live like this anymore. I need to be close, not only to people and quit faking it, but I need to be reunited with God. And so the, one of the beautiful parts of this scripture is that, you know, the distance that you might feel, e- even in our day-to-day lives, distance that you might feel that Jesus is the one that's always going to leave the shore even if he has to do something that he's never done before. He's going to do whatever he can, whatever he must do to show you that he cares for you and he wants to be with you. And I'm sure they got on the shore and great stuff happened. And um, But but this is the message of the scripture for me. is That Jesus can overcome nature, he can do all brand new things in order to show us how much how much uh, he wants to um, how much he wants to be close to us. And this is at home for me. I mean, I, I, economic times are tough, right? And I, so I, I work uh, with Mosaic and get paid lots of money. And um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for my position. We're, we're recording this, right? Um, I'm extremely grateful for my, for, for my opportunities and how I get to kind of craft my life, and it's wonderful. And my wife's a freelance photographer, which is lucrative. also um, so I keep my old job and I actually studied nursing uh, uh, in college and there's not many men in my profession meet the parents (laughs) thank you Um, uh, so yeah, I, so I I used to do nursing and I, now I still do it. I do it like, um, like one or two days a week and it's actually really fun for me. I get to put all my strengths to work and it's, I work in intensive care unit and get to care for a lot of people, walk into people with crisis, but times have been tough and the summertime people don't get as sick. Right. And so me, I'm a registry nurse. I'm like the extra, like when they need more nurses, they call me. And so man, seven out of the last eight times I struck an out. Like, I'd woken up in the morning, wanted to, wanted to go to work, and didn't. And that's, those are like the loneliest days because I'd cleared my whole day. It's a 12 hour shift, and I was going to make money, so instead, I'm not making money, and I got nothing to do. Man, it's this roller coaster. And you guys might be going through some of that with your own financial things in this economy. But um, so Friday morning, I'm on my way to work. And um, I'm thinking through this passage, I am reflecting on it, and I'm realizing, you know what? This was nothing new for the disciples. Lots of these dudes were fishermen. They'd been through storms before, right? They'd been on a boat when it all went sour. Don't you figure? You know, they'd gone through so much hard times before. But the only thing really different about this story is that Jesus showed up. It was that Jesus showed up. And I mean, I'm in tears on my way to work realizing, man, um, I've been through financial stress before. And it's the, hardest stress of, it's the hardest type of stress for me to handle. Um, and I'm on my way to work. And I'm realizing Jesus is showing up. And I'm just drawn to tears. I'm thinking, God, how many times am I in a massive storm in my life? And I'm just so focused on fixing it that I'm not even inviting you into the process. And even if you enter the process and something happens and something turns and hope is found and I can get myself up the next day and something's going to be better, how much do I even realize that that's your presence? And so that's, um, I think that's one of the beautiful things of this passage. And I I think all of us could probably find ourselves there there from time to time. You find yourself in a really tough spot where you're just going to, you either want to fix it yourself and you're not even looking outside, wondering if Jesus is going to show up because I think he's a lot closer um, than then we know. And so my, my prayer for us this morning is that um, no matter where you find yourself, um, if, if, you're either, if you're going through a really hard time, maybe you're one of the ones that have lost their jobs in L.A. or, or something's going really rough at home, or you and your um, uh, spouse or girlfriend or whatever it might be, um, there's, there's so much separation between you two, and you really need Jesus to show up. I just want you to know that um, it would have—it was—it would have been a terrible idea for each of them to make their own boats and make their their way across the the sea. At least they were together. And so, if you need to like have some reconnection time with people that you're estranged from, I think that's a great idea. Um, and but then also, there might be in the midst of the storm, this might be the time that Jesus is going to show up and do something fresh and new for you. And so that's kind of the invitation today. And. Um, I, I want to just um, give us some time and I'm going to pray for us and um, and then we're actually going to come back and do some Q&A time. So join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that your scriptures are alive and they, they meet us where we are and I thank you that uh, the people here don't ever have to do this thing alone. And no matter where we are in our journey that you want with more, more than anything else um, to be close to us and to have this connected relationship with us. And so uh, we want to trust you for that. And I pray for everybody that might seem very far from you. I pray that they know that you are so close to them, even if they're looking outside the boat. You're so close. Help us to have our eyes up to the horizon and know that you want to come and meet us. Help us to really do the hard work of life, which is reconnecting relationships that are strained and difficult and Trusting you in the midst of a crisis and and uh, challenges, and um, thank you that your story is one of redemption and love. And and um, no matter where we are in our journey, help us to know just the next step to trust you more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.
1: Um, okay, uh, quick Q and A. He didn't really know we were going to do that. I told him right before he spoke. Hey, by the way, we're going to do Q and A Q&A afterwards, so be prepared. <laughs> so if you have a burning question regarding maybe the passage or perhaps uh, adrian what he does or i uh, saw already a hand going up um let me finish what you can get to ask uh or why i shaved my goatee because i don't even know now uh but the responses that i got <laughs> it was mistakes were made and uh no one's perfect it
0: was a long perfect. night it was a long night it was a long night
1: <laughs> <laughs> C- yeah. dude where's my car dude no, where's my hangover. goatee i was
0: gonna say yeah anybody <laughs> see C- hangover
1: but I have my teeth. All right, so Mary's got the burning question already. Go ahead. Can you talk about like the analogy of
0: of us the storms compared to the cycles on
1: the boat together? What would that look like, in your opinion, on a typical
0: day? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's a that's a great question, and you, some of you guys might have better answers than I do, but um, you know, for me, it's uh, I've realized the older I get, and everybody's wired differently, but I'm just an emotional roller coaster. I am, and um, uh, and I go up, and I'm highly motivated at some points of the day, and at other points of the day, I think life is futile, you know, I don't know if you, everybody ever feels that way, um, live with an artist, and you'll really feel that, you know, I mean, uh, uh, so it, it's, uh, for me, it's, it's a lot of the management of that.
1: Well, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, are you asking what that person would do to bring Christ into, into his story? Oh, okay, you know, I, everyone's wired differently. Um, Oddly enough, if when I'm sick and tired of people, and it's very rare because I love you all, um, uh, I find that I have to find someone else to serve in a way. I don't want to put that, I know it sounds strange, but when I feel like I've I've spent too much and I really feel depleted, that I'll stop and ask myself, this person... You know, you you get so many text messages, so many emails. I work full-time. I mean, it comes a lot all day long. But occasionally it'll hit me that this person is probably experiencing a tough time as well. And so when I go to take a few moments to serve them in the mindset that um, this is what God has asked me to do, is to care for people, I always find myself replenished. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the idea of the scarcity, that talk... It wasn't just a talk that I prepared. That talk actually prepared me. And then what you were saying this morning really hit about the idea that you could fake it for a long time. Uh, you can be in the boat rowing. You can, you know, you can come here. You can pretend. You can, you can use all the words, you know, and all that. But in the end, I think somehow if you're not giving to somebody else, that, that it can be depleting. But my wife will say, so I'll speak for her in her behalf, she will say that there's moments she finds she's got to be alone with Christ. She's got to be one-on-one with him somewhere. And for her, it's, it's uh, usually her alone time involved creating something, cooking, cleaning, painting, gardening, something. And she finds those moments that she's creating beauty to be moments when God speaks to her. So I think it will vary for every, everybody else. You know, I, I know Simon's such a, a hospital person. He just loves people. And he loves people over his home. He just loves cooking. It's got all right. And so I, I find he gets energized that way where he's also communing that way. So for folks it might be something different, but somewhere along the line, even if it's taking a literal time out from your moments and say, Okay, I need a few minutes to, to realize God is here, He can be here, I'm asking him to be here. Um, it has to be I think a little intentional.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is these past two weeks. Um, I've had a new prayer happen in my life. And I think it's going to be like a theme for me. It's just, I guess, a realization for myself because I work, I try to work so hard. This is going to sound terrible, but um, I think it's true. Like, maybe all of us feel this, but I try to work so hard not to need God. I don't know if you guys experienced that, but man, I just just want to be so self-sufficient. I want to be so motivated. I want to be so excellent. I want to do stuff so well that I can bring it to God and say, hey, look, 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 look. Look what I did. Look what I did. Um... But, man, these last couple weeks have just been so, uh, maybe just a more honest place for myself. And I just, in these conversations and that realizations, I've said, you know, God, I only trust you so much. And that's just reality. It's like, I've got a natural, just like you have a trust for your, the person saying, are your good friends or your family members or your mom or your dad um, or your wife or your husband. Like, I've just got so much trust. And I want trust to grow. And that stuff I, I don't necessarily have to question. Like, whatever trust I have for Jesus, I can lean on that, because I actually believe Him. And, and, uh, and then I've got so much work that I can do, which is not evil, which is not hard. And I've just started praying, Jesus, I want, I want to trust You as much as I can. I want to work as hard as I can. But then you have to give me faith to compensate, you know? Because I want to live a life that does ex- exceptional things, and a big, like a whole image of pouring out of my life, and that causes me... Um, I can't stay on the boat that long. There's just so much stuff to do. And so I need you to get me off this boat because the other shore, they're going to starve if I don't get there. You know? So that's the framework I'm from. So I I come to a place where, I mean, I need to find Jesus because the world is calling. So I pray for faith. Long answer. Yeah. One last question. Yes. How do you determine when, Well, I think it's hard. I, I think you always got to give people the benefit of the doubt. You see even in this passage, right? So Jesus feeds these 5,000 great intentions, wants to show him himself. They don't get it. He doesn't stay and make sure they get it and feed them again and say, hey, you get it this time? No. Okay. Hey, you get it. Th-. he doesn't stay. He goes to the other shore. They choose to follow him, which I, th- I think, you know, actually shows their great intention. So he decides to have a conversation with them and says, hey, I could do it again, but you're not, you're looking for bread. And I'm telling you, I am the bread. And so part of it is, I mean, because I, I go through this all the time, man, I have lunch with this guy, and we have a big conversation, and I feel like sometimes I'm just wasting my time, because, you know, he doesn't want to change. And, I, and, you know, that's not my, I can't make the dude change, I can't, you know, tell him what to do, I, I, but um, I try to give, I, I try to give most of my time and effort to, um, uh, to things that are actually moving forward. Does that make sense? You know, so... And that, That's my question, and I actually pray this all the time. God, show me where to spend my time, because your time is such a valuable commodity, and um, so you always got to give it. And um, I just go—I I give my time towards things that have movement, you know. So if someone wants to change, um, that's great. If a thing is actually working and helping people, um, that's great. But uh, I find out—I feel like it's most of a waste of time, and actually most draining for me if I'm doing it by myself. So um, I invite other people in because. Uh, because I, I'm going to be really drained if it's always just me. And so that's kind of the other thing, too. If you find yourself isolated doing this and feeling all alone, it's probably because you are, and you might have chosen to be there. So get other people involved and share their wealth and share this opportunity, and then you can release it some and trust other people. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.